0: Our scripture reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So let's stand in honor of God's word and read together these verses. I will read the first verse, and we will read the second verse together, and so down through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I speak, I'd like to say something. I am very excited about your pastoral candidate. I had the privilege of uh, meeting him uh, more than a month ago for lunch and spending some time together. We're both PKs, both preacher's kids, and uh, both grew up in the parsonage, and both, uh, we just have a lot in common, many, many things. Uh, I came away from that Time with Isaac, uh, knowing a couple of things about him. I don't know all about him, as you don't either. Uh, God knows, but he is a man of God. Uh, He is a man who has a pastor's heart. He cares uh, very much about the church of Jesus Christ. He knows how to care for people, he knows how to teach and preach God's word. And he understands churches. And I believe that God has uniquely prepared him for this unique church. This is a uniquely wonderful church with uh, deep roots in the community, uh, a strong stand on the word of God, and a very caring, loving fellowship. And I believe that God has uniquely prepared this man for this church at this time and i don't get a vote but i do have an opinion (laughs) and uh, i just want to say that i I really believe god has used your search committee uh, to really thoroughly prayerfully consider and uh, i believe that he is god's man for this church at this time i'm very excited about it and i am uh I want to go on record as being very much in favor of him. Now, I have already preached to you that he's not perfect. And he's going to need your prayers. And he's going to need your cooperation. But I believe he's a man of God. And Wednesday night, we heard uh, him really tell us his attitude towards this book. And I believe something very important I heard on Wednesday night was that he is under the word. And that's the most important thing a pastor can do, is bring you under this word. Because this word is the word of God. The Bible is not God, but it's the way God speaks to us. And when we hear God speak, he speaks through his word and by his spirit. So I just want to say that. I'm I'm very excited. It's been a long time coming. In some ways, I wished it had been longer, because I like being here, and I love you. Uh, But I believe it is is the time, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, so I trust the Lord will guide the church in unity to continue to move forward with those values that are uh, very strongly held here. Uh, So let's pray as we open this passage of Scripture. Father, we pray that you would use your word today to do that, Uh, spiritual surgery that Isaac uh, spoke to us about on Wednesday night. You might use your word uh, to uh, cut deep into our lives and to remove those things that need to be removed, uh, to add those things that need to be be added uh, so that we might be the fruit-bearing Christians that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are deacons? Okay, see, it's a minority, isn't it? And so I I don't want to just preach to the deacons today. I'm sure the deacons will pick some things up. This particular passage is addressed to Timothy in the church of Ephesus on how to choose deacons. Uh, But most of us will never be deacons, but we can learn from the deacon preparation process. And And so what I want us to do with this passage today is to mine from it some spiritual principles that will help us to grow spiritually. My prayer for you is that a year from now, you will be more mature spiritually, bearing greater fruit than you are now. Okay. How many of you would like that for your life? All right, then you better pay attention even if you're not a deacon, okay? Uh, so we're going to extract some principles here for spiritual growth. Uh, how can a person develop the emotional stability expressed in their fellowship, their witness, and in prayer? Uh, how can... Uh, In this case, he describes a deacon and a deacon's wife. Uh, How can you overcome fear and instability to really grow in the Lord? Now, in any growth process in life, uh, uh, growth happens naturally, doesn't it? How many of you are gardeners? Yeah, my wife is a gardener. If I want to make my wife happy, we go to Home Depot and buy plants. <laughs> it's her nurturing instincts. She's a mother at heart. And the kids have all moved out, and now it's plants. And I'm very happy for her to have all the plants she wants so she'll mother them instead of me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, she's a great mother. And, uh, and she mothers her plants, and, and she cares for them, and she nurtures them. Uh, and as we learned on Wednesday night, as many of you were there, A life comes from life, right? We learn life comes from life. And uh, we receive eternal life as a gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, a garden grows naturally when it's not infested with parasites choked by weeds or eaten by deer, right? That's the reality. It grows naturally when it gets enough sun. And water and air and nutrients, but all the nutrients, sun, and water in the world without life will not produce growth. And I'll tell you, here in North Carolina, you know how to grow things. I just, you know, in Pennsylvania, they they kind of grow things, but down here, I'll tell you what, things really grow. And uh, you pass the farms around here, and you see the beautiful growth, and your springtime is just a beautiful thing. But uh, in order to have growth, you must have life. And I don't want to go on to these hindrances and helps to spiritual growth until we have squared away the issue that you have the life of God in you. Because you and I were not born as Christians. I remember a man attended our church and we had a work day the next Saturday and he showed up. That was promising. And uh, so he and I were raking leaves at the church. And we're raking leaves. And I said to him, I said, Rick, so when did you become a Christian? He said, I've always been a Christian. I said, No, you weren't. (laughs) See, I've read the Bible, and I know some things. Even about people I haven't met before, I know some things. And I said, no, no, you weren't. Nobody was born a Christian. I wasn't born a Christian. Now, you might have been born a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian, but you weren't born a born-again Christian. That is something that involves an individual issue. You have to know some things. You have to know that you're a sinner. You need to know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. You must make a decision to trust in Christ. And then he comes into your life. And then you're saved. Amen? Yeah. It's an individual thing. I always get nervous when I say, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. And so they say, well, my uncle, you know, he's a preacher. And it's like, so? Somehow they think it's catching or that you inherited or, you know, it's in the family or something. You know, I went to church once or whatever. People think they're Christians with no basis at all. No, Jesus said to a very religious man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. Again. Being born once is not enough. You've got to be born twice. And that is is when you get the life of God in you. You get eternal life. It begins when you believe in Christ. Now you have the life in you. Now there is a potential for spiritual growth. But it must not be inhibited. It must be enhanced. It must be helped. There's a North Carolina state farm that we pass through here sometimes when we're traveling and boy they do things right over there don't they and you see the corn growing real high and all these things and they're studying the best way to cause things to grow see some people have the idea that spiritual growth is some kind of mysterious unknown process that just happens to some people and not others that's not true no Spiritual growth is like farming. That's what David said. Remember he said in Psalm 1? When you meditate in the law of the Lord day and night, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Amen? You'll bring forth your fruit in your season. Your leaf will not wither, and whatsoever you do will prosper. He compares spiritual growth to the life of a tree. Jesus often used agricultural explanations in fact when he talked about spiritual growth he talked about the four kinds of soil what kind of soil are you are you good ground that's bringing forth a hundredfold or is the life choked by rocks and dryness and weeds what's the condition if your spiritual life was a garden what would it look like would the tomatoes be juicy Would the corn be sweet? What kind of fruit would you be bearing in your life if your spiritual life was a garden? Now, there are things that do happen. Uh, There are variables of weather and all kinds of different variables, as farmers well know. But farming is a scientific process that involves getting rid of the hindrances And enhancing those facilitators and helps. And that's what i want to look at today. And I want to take this passage and draw from it ten hindrances to spiritual growth to see if any of these are in your life. And if so, you need to get rid of them. How do we get rid of them? We confess our sins to God. We yield to him. We follow his will. The first one I see in regard to deacons is, he says, deacons must be men of dignity. The word is semnos. It means reverent, serious. The opposite of this word is silliness. And some of us have this weird sense of humor. Anybody else here have the weird sense of humor? They make fun of dad jokes, for instance, at Father's Day and all that. And uh, some of us just have kind of a, a, a funny bone, a, a, a way of making a joke about things. And you know, a sense of humor is a helpful thing. And uh, you know, if you if you bend, you won't break, and all that. But spiritual growth is an extremely serious thing. Ephesians five four says it this way: neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks you say I'm happy well then thank God and thank other people amen get in the habit of being thankful how many of you ever had a situation where you didn't know what to say anybody ever had that yeah you know what you should say when you don't know what to say look for something to be thankful for Thank the people around you. Just find something to be thankful for. It'll encourage them. It'll cheer you up. And it will help you not to be so silly or so serious that you can't bend along the way. Gratefulness should replace silliness in our lives. Then he says, not double-tongued. Jesus said it this way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The Indians in there Many treaties with the conquerors of their land spoke of the white man who speaks with forked tongue. Yeah, the forked tongue. He says, don't have a forked tongue. I have a relative who was a speechwriter for Richard Nixon. Ray Price is his name. and. Uh, Patrick Buchanan was the conservative speechwriter, and unfortunately, my relative was the liberal speechwriter for Nixon. And depending on where Nixon was going to speak, he had one or the other write his speech for him, or help him prepare it at least. You know, when you have to adapt your message to your audience that much, maybe there's something wrong. You know, they say politics is a very promising profession, uh, but We should not change our core values depending on who we are speaking to. We have to be sensitive to our audience, but be careful to not change our story. And God says deacons need to be men with their yes is their yes, and their no is their no, and they stand by it. For instance, this church has a doctrinal statement. Did you know that? This church has a doctrinal statement. And the search committee has been guided by that doctrinal statement. And the candidates that they have reviewed have been asked their opinion about the doctrinal statement. Why? Because this church has a doctrinal position. It's not saying every church that's different is wrong. It's just saying that's who we are. That's what we believe this Bible teaches. And a deacon ought to be one who stands up for the doctrinal position of the church, is not wishy-washy, not saying one thing in the board meeting and something else in the parking lot. Amen? Yeah. Got to be willing to stand for what you know to be right. Next, he mentions alcohol. Boy, that came up with the last list, and it comes up with this one, too. Not addicted to much wine. Alcohol will not make you a better Christian. It just won't, okay? But it is a huge part of our culture, huge part. Some people can't have a party without it. Some people can't have a wedding reception without it. Some people can't do much of anything without it. But how sad it is in our culture that drunkenness often leads to fornication, which leads to to unwanted pregnancies, which leads to abortion. It's all part of that demonic issue. Young people, may I have your attention for a moment? You better decide what you're going to do with alcohol. You better decide. And don't wait for the party to start thinking about it. Okay? You need to know ahead of time. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's wine. Read it in the Bible. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say much about alcohol. Actually, I found 70 passages in Scripture that deal with that. You ought to study those before you get too far in life and decide what you're going to do. It's nothing new. There's nothing modern about it, okay? The Bible says, if you want to be a fruitful Christian, you will be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. Amen? That was a little weak. That's what the Bible says. Then he says, not greedy for money. Not fond of sordid gain. You know, Judas was the church treasurer. He was. Bible says, John 13, 29, Judas had the money box. Judas had the money box. The Bible does say that he was pilfering from the disciples' money box. He betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What was he going to buy with that? A boat? What was he going to buy? I don't know. A slave? You could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver in Bible times. What was he going to buy? What advancement did he think that would bring him? He desired money more than he desired the Savior. You're going to have to make your decision about that. What is going to be the idol of your heart? Is it going to be money? Or is the throne of your life going to be sat on by Jesus Christ? Either he is going to rule your life or money will. It just has a way of doing that. And now we all need money. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Love of money. Don't love it more than you love Jesus. And if you love money more than you love Jesus, you will not grow to the maximum. You better get that weed out of your garden, the weed of greed. And then slander, not malicious gossips, verse 11. It's interesting. This word is diabolos in the Greek. It's one of the names of the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. It is the sin of gossip. If there is one sin that has destroyed more churches than any other sin, it is the sin of gossip. Satan wants people to talk about their preacher rather than talking to him. Amen? You better talk to this new preacher. If there's something where he steps out of line, he teaches something wrong, he lives something wrong, or you have a question about where in the world he's taken the church, or why he changed this, or why he changed that, talk to him. Did you hear me on that? Jesus only used the word ecclesia twice in the Gospels. The word church. I will build my church and tell it to the church. And it was in the context, if you have a problem with a brother... You go to him privately and personally first. You don't go to other people and build a consensus against anybody. Amen? That is so important. You better treat this new preacher right. He's a good one. I know he didn't get elected yet, but I'm jumping a little bit ahead here. You better treat him right. The next weed in your garden you've got to get rid of is a lack of self-control. He says the deacon must be temperate. This has the idea of self-control. Does the word binging mean anything to you? Binging. You used to think it was about alcohol, but now you can binge on food. You can binge on shopping online or otherwise. You can binge on Netflix. You can binge on all entertainment. It's amazing. But if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to learn to say a little word to yourself. No. That's enough. No more. Here's where we stop. Amen? Yeah, you got to. Because you could fill your life with binging. It's amazing what you could do. I mean, now it used to be you had to wait all year to watch a season of television. You can watch a whole season in two days now you know, if you don't do anything else. It's amazing how much binging is available to us. Used to be we just ate three meals a day. Now there's food everywhere you look and everywhere you go. I went to the bank and they had cookies. You know, (laughs) what in the world? Everywhere you look, you got to say no sometime. Lack of dependability, faithful in all things. I had a young man who wanted to go into the ministry he had graduated from bible institute he was back home in the church he had a wife and kids and and he wanted to go into the pastor he wanted to be a pastor and his dad was one of the elders in the church and he wanted his son-in-law to be a pastor and so they all wanted me to take this guy under my wing and uh, train him to be a pastor the only trouble was this young man had trouble getting to church he just wasn't there much and it was always a really good reason why he wasn't there. And I had to honestly say to him, you know, if you're going to ever be a pastor, you're going to have to figure out how to get to church. <laughs> you know, he was sick, his wife was sick, his kids were sick, the car wouldn't start. It was always something. But, you know, half, half of anything is just showing up, regular, on time. And, of course, the only way to be on time is to be early, right? Yeah, you know that. People have to be dependable. If you are undependable, root that undependability out of your garden. That's a bad thing. Greatest ability, my father used to say, is dependability. I like what Harry Truman said. Anybody? You don't remember Harry. Nobody's here remembers Harry Truman. But I was reading a book about his life, and he had a little sign on his desk that faced him. And it said, make few promises i thought that's a good one it's a good one make few promises but do keep the ones that you make amen and then he says husbands of one wife and wife of one husband disloyalty to your spouse will be a weed in your garden and satan is constantly tempting people to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence but there's a reason why it looks greener. There's more defeated over there. You know, who knows what's going on? The septic tank? I don't know. But that grass always looks greener. You ever wondered why cows are always up against the fence? You know, they're just up there looking at the grass on the other side. Most false teachers are that way. Peter describes them in 2 Peter 2.14 having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Are accursed children. God calls deacons to be models of sexual purity and if you want to grow, you're going to have to say no to the grass on the other side of the fence and work on developing your own yard Proverbs is very clear on that. Drink water from your own cistern, he says. And then, uncontrolled children. The mismanagement of our children. I am so excited about this course Seth is going to teach tonight. Where's Seth? There he is, Seth. And uh, I have to say, I had, I had heard about that book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It was one of those things that was like, yeah, 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 you know. And... Uh, I thought it was about reading books to your kids or something. I don't know. I I didn't tune into that. And then uh, I ended up teaching the course on video, so I had to read the book and watch the videos. And I got so convicted, Seth, that I, I sat down. God convicted me. I wrote a letter to all my children and told them I was sorry, very specifically for some things that I did wrong in raising my children. My wife was really good, but I... I, I did some head-on confrontation with my kids, some drill sergeant stuff with my kids that, that I came to really regret. And I learned from that to come alongside of them. And uh, I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing. A lot of practical stuff for parenting. I hope, you, you know, eat your snack and go to this thing, you know, really, because it really is great. And uh, I really appreciate the biblical idea of shepherding your children, being their shepherd, especially dads, a tremendous thing. Uh, Our children, they are our greatest congregation. Again, I had a man came to me, he wanted to go in the ministry. Wanted to go in the ministry. And I said, how's it going with your wife and your children? He didn't have much to say. I said, do you know you already have a congregation? And you can preach to them every night after supper. Why don't you do that? You know, work there. Because God's Bible college and seminary is truly the family. And men, that is our ministry. Our children, shepherding them. Good managers of their children. Management of the household, he says. That has to do with the budget and the house and the health of those who live in what your house holds. Your house. He says these are things that if you mismanage your household, it will hinder your spiritual growth. You'll be all wound up with uh, the burden of debt, the burden of house projects undone, of bills unpaid, uh, of not a, too much month at the end of the money, and all those kind of pressures that will keep you from investing your life in a way that really bears fruit in spiritual fruit of the Spirit and the lives of others affected by your life and ministry. I would encourage you, uh, if not right now, take time to go over that passage and to go over those things and say, are there any of those things in my life? Because if any of those things are true of you, if I've touched a nerve, if the Holy Spirit has touched a nerve in any of those areas, then confess it yield to God, learn his word in those areas, and then begin to do those things that will bring spiritual growth. Remove those hindrances. And then there are three really important helps in this passage. Facilitators to spiritual growth and vitality. The first one is correct doctrine. He says, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith. And when you see the definite article before the word faith, it usually refers to the, those truths revealed through Scripture. You know, there's a lot you can know without reading the Bible, but there are some things that you will not know until you read the Bible. There are some things you couldn't know unless God had given us the Bible. He speaks of the mystery of the faith, What is a mystery? A mystery is a secret which God has revealed. A mystery. The mystery of the faith. God's revealed truth. We would not have known how creation happened if God hadn't told us. Why? Because He was the only one there. I've never met an evolutionist who was there. Okay? Who saw it happen. God was there and He told us what He did. Creation. We wouldn't know about salvation. We wouldn't know of God's plan if it was not revealed in Scripture. We would not know the future, what the future holds for our lives and for this world unless it was revealed in Scripture because only God knows the future. And so, if you are going to facilitate your spiritual growth, you will study the teachings of God's Word, and you will take them to heart, and you will act upon them in faith. A mature Christian is one who knows correct Bible doctrine, and I praise the Lord for the emphasis that Ross Marion for the last 30 years has had in this church to teach you correct doctrine. I have spoken to people. Uh, Ross, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute here. If I have your attention. I've talked to people in this church and they said, you know, I didn't know about that. when I went, I went and saw Ross and he told me. And they got it right because you showed them from the Bible. Correct doctrine. What a priceless treasure. To hold on to. To hold on to. How do you hold on to correct doctrine? By keeping it in your doctrinal statement in a book somewhere? No. He says the deacon is one who holds the faith, the mystery of the faith, in a good, clear conscience. I like to think of a big crystal punch bowl for a minute. Can you see it? I've got one right here. Big crystal punch bowl. That's your conscience. And the punch is the mystery of the faith. It is held in a good conscience. Now how much of a crack do you need in that punch bowl for all that red juice to come out on the tablecloth? Not much of a crack. It's amazing how little crack will drain it all out. And if you have a conscience that is leaky, that is not working right, you will never be able to hold on to the mystery of the faith. What is a clear conscience? Well, let's talk about what is a conscience. Conscience is the knowledge of good and evil. It is knowing right from wrong. It is used 30 times in the New Testament. Very, very important. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is our moral filter. It is a witness within. Romans 9, 1, Paul says, my conscience testifies. Okay? In the courtroom of your soul... When issues are being judged in the courtroom of your soul, there is this witness that takes the stand and says, You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Right? And you say, Was that me? Was that my mother? Was that my father? Was that my preacher? What voice? Was that God? It was your conscience. Your sense of right and wrong. Everybody's conscience is trained a little bit differently, depending on where you grew up and who your parents were and what your background, what country you are from. All these kind of things are trainers of our conscience. Our conscience is unique to us, but is that moral aspect of us that judges the rightness and the wrongness of something, usually after it happens. What is a clear conscience? Paul says in Acts 23.1, I also do my best to maintain a blameless conscience both before God and men. Now how can we maintain a clear conscience? The, the best thing and the first thing and the most important thing for a clear conscience is the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 1 John one seven says the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. The first thing you can do for your conscience is to get saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And when the blood cleanses your conscience. You will know the truth of Romans 8.1 that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Do you know that? That is so important to know. That because Jesus paid it all, God holds nothing against you. The blood of Jesus will cleanse your conscience. That's the big cleansing. And then the continual cleansing is the cleansing of the Word of God. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Paul wrote that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, that is the church, with the washing of water by the word. That's why you should read the Bible every day. How many of you wash some part of your body every day? How many? Now, in the old days, you used to have the Saturday night bath, you know. They'd haul the tub out and the kitchen floor and heat the water up on the wood stove and... Depending on which number you were in the process, you know, how cold the water would be, all that. Now, my parents tell me about that. I didn't experience that. But the fact is that we do, we are such clean people. We are so clean. I mean, some Americans take a shower every day, some people take two or three, depending on what they've been up to. You know, with exercising and different things. We are so clean. In fact, they say children today are too clean. I won't go into that. But I'll tell you what. If you wash your body every day, you ought to wash your soul every day. You ought to have a time every day when you open this book and you read it. And you let it read you. And you let this Word cleanse your heart and soul and you confess your sins and you yield to God and you do business with Him. You spend time in the Word and prayer every day. And it will cleanse you. It will not affect you immediately, but over time, you will have a conscience that now is being educated by the Word of God. And the more you educate your conscience, the more accurate it will be in filtering out the wrong things. You won't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You'll know what's baby and what's bathwater because the Bible will inform your conscience. And then, confessing of known sins to God. Keeping short accounts with Him. First John 1 John 1.9 I'll tell you, if verses wore out by using them, this one would be pretty worn out for me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll tell you what, if you're walking with God, you need that verse every day. Because every day you will think things, say things, you will do things, you will fail to do things, and and your conscience will bring that to your attention like that check engine light on your dashboard, amen? And when you see that light coming on, then you're going to say, you know what, I need to confess that to God and yield to Him and you'll do that. And then you'll have the fellowship line open again with, with God. And you'll be walking with God. You'll be in fellowship with Him in an unbroken way. Now what if you still feel guilty after you do all that? You say, Pastor, I hate to tell you, I've done all that. And I still feel guilty. I feel rotten. Hey, i got a verse for you. First John 3, verses 20 and 21. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Do you know there's a higher court than your conscience? There's a higher court than your inmost thoughts? That is God himself. And if he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Amen? And you have to learn to pay attention to the highest court. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why is a clear conscience so important? It's the only way to hold the faith. All false teaching can be traced back to a defiled, seared, violated, dirty conscience. It's the filter. How many of you ever clean the filter on your air conditioning unit? Do you do that? In your house or whatever? Or maybe in your car, the cabin filter, right? Or the air filter or the oil filter. You see, filters are important to our lives and we change them and we clean them. But you've got a soul filter and it might be clogged. I'm convinced that a lot of people's emotional and mental health issues are due to a clogged conscience. God wants you to have a clear conscience, that filters out the sin and allows all the good stuff to flow through. That's a good conscience. And then the third thing for enhancing our spiritual growth is careful service. Let them serve. That's what the word deacon means. Servant. Do you know that deacon is a verb just like mother is a verb? Deacon is something you do. It is serving. Deacons are servants. And they serve. Deacons are to deek, And all Christians are to serve. Why? Because our Savior did not come to be served, but to serve. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 6, the original deacons were serving tables for hungry widows. Those who have served well. Let them be tested, he says. Then let them be proved. You say, why am I in such a menial job? I'm stuck with this job. I hate this job. I don't like this job. Hey, wait a minute. Do a really good job in the job you're in. Joseph was faithful as a slave and as a falsely accused prisoner before he ruled Egypt. David was faithful as a shepherd. He was faithful as a musician in the court of Saul. He was faithful faithful before he became king. Jesus was tested in the humble occupation of a carpenter before he came as the suffering Savior to die and eventually to rule. That menial job is the way God is preparing you for more important things. He says these deacons who do these three things, will obtain themselves a high standing, a good degree in the old King James. It means a a, a step to a door. That's literally the meaning Where that bathmos, Greek word. It means a step towards a door. The menial jobs you are doing now are the steps towards doors of opportunity for ministry that you do not know yet. Stephen was chosen as a deacon. He was a faithful servant to the widows. He served their food. He said, would you like some more mashed potatoes, ma'am? You know, I was saying stuff like that. But when he had a chance to be a witness, he was a faithful witness and became the first martyr even to his death, which he sealed with his own blood. What a wonderful witness he was then he says great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus great confidence God will give you spiritual confidence this means the ability to speak how many of you felt like you ever had a situation where afterwards you said you know I think that was an opportunity to witness but I didn't take it anybody ever have those I've had those afterwards. Sometimes it's like afterwards. Why do you learn about it afterwards? Do you know God wants us to be bold in those opportunities come? And one of the ways you will do that is by enhancing your spiritual growth in these ways. God wants to work spiritual progress, emotional stability, and fruitful ministry in our lives. He wants us to be people who are in his word, holding the faith in a good conscience and serving God with a willing heart. Let's bow in prayer.
1: Hey, good morning. Uh, I'll say just a a very, very brief word before we uh, close in prayer this morning. But we are going to have a business meeting following the worship service this morning. So we'll take a few moments to transition from our worship service to our business meeting. And for those who are unable to stay or who who would like to leave, you can take advantage of that time for just a moment to do that. For those of us who are staying, you can stretch your legs for just a moment. Say hello to those that are around you. Maybe the choir may want to take robes off and get a little bit more comfortable for just a moment. So we'll do that, but don't go far and don't tarry long. We will start without you. Uh, afterwards okay so uh, would you bow with me in prayer please gracious Heavenly Father you are creator of heaven and earth the one who was and who is and who is to come and we give you all glory thank you for your true words spoken to us in the Bible thank you that you speak through your servant Dan Peters we are grateful to you for teaching us through Ross in the past and now through Dan. Thank you that they have taught us and are teaching us without compromise. Watch over those of our congregation who need your healing touch. You have made us, you have knit us together in our mother's womb, you know what each one of us need. And Lord, I ask your blessing on those who need your special touch. Thank you for the privilege to be part of sharing your gospel here in Fuquay, Arena, and also around the world. We ask you today for a special blessing on our own, Scott and Naren Hollinger, and their work that they are doing for you through Transworld Radio. We ask you to bless their ministry. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to support them in finances, in prayer, and in fellowship. These things we ask in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.